about to do? We're about to get real. We're about to have conversations that Christians have behind closed doors. The scary ones. The ones that make you feel uncomfortable. That's where we're going. Why? Because we're family. Ustedes son mi familia. So this is the Brian and Janelle podcast. She's Janelle and I'm Brian. If you don't want to miss anything, all you have to do is just hit that subscribe button to get a notification whenever we drop a new episode. This is the Brian and Janelle podcast. Hey. Buen dia. It is good yeah. Friday. Yeah. We have a couple of ideas on how we want to, want today to go, but we'd love your help doing this as we reflect on Good Friday because I don't want to just make this a, we, it's Good Friday. Right. But you got to be ready because we're going to get real and honest and have a honest reflection, like Brian said, on our hearts and the crucifixion. I'm looking forward to it because a lot of it is, like you said, about us. Just checking our hearts, just seeing how we can better observe it and what happens when we do. Yes, yes, absolutely. But we have this tendency, I think, as humans to skip past Good Friday. Or if we don't, I don't say, I don't even mean skip it. Because I don't know many people that go like, eh, I don't need Good Friday. Mm -hmm. But we're so excited Mm -hmm. about Sunday that we kind of, eh, whatever, Good Friday. Oh, ouch, he died for us. That would hurt. Right. Let's move on. And I know that sounds Mm -hmm. crass, but I got to be honest that, you know, when we celebrate communion at my church, for example, and, you know, we've all done this for years. I don't know, but we do it once a month. Is that what you guys do? Uh, We do every week. I love it when it's done every week. We do once a month. How often can you honestly say that you really feel like you've done a good job before communion, reflecting on what Christ did for you? Not often. (laughs) (laughs) Can I plead the fifth on that? Yeah, really. (laughs) That is a good use of the fifth. It it will incriminate me. (laughs) I don't know what passage your church uses, but mine uses the Paul summary of the Last Supper in 1 Corinthians 11 to prepare your heart, okay? Yeah. Right. And there's, there's an interesting part because we're all kind of in the middle of the, of the liturgy of communion, and so we don't read the full context of this. So with this in mind, here's what you would hear at my church, and then I'm going to keep going. So you, you'd hear, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone Mm -hmm. ought to examine themselves before they eat of the, the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why so many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Why do we trivialize it so much? I make it like this, oh, ouch, you know, broken for me. Owie, that would hurt, put nails in. I know that sounds weird, but oftentimes I'm like with the kids, I'm trying to get them up there. I love when they get the blessing from the pastor. So I'm in line, I'm, it's almost my turn. I'm like, oh Lord, uh, man, thanks for what you did for me. I'm so sorry, I'm such a mess. Uh, thanks for, for what you did for that. I'm also quick to let it be rote, I guess would be the word. Yeah. You know, it's just something you do every week and, you know, you bow your head and you say a quick prayer and then rope your mind back in from wandering away. It's terribly convicting to say it out loud too. Right. And then even in the context of the violence of Good Friday, it's like, I think our modern context, we don't have a way to even 
make this make sense in our minds. As in, even for us, execution, we've been trying for centuries now, since the French Revolution in many respects and the Enlightenment, to figure out how can we, without any pain or discomfort whatsoever, execute people. Yeah, I know there's concern about lethal injection, and right. so there's been states who aren't doing that, but the idea behind it is we're going to quietly put you to sleep. To do it humanely, because even with the electric chair, that's been an issue still used for some yeah, reason. which is a horrible some, experience, obviously. Right. But, I mean, it's nothing—we have nothing— To compare that. To, to compare the actual crucifix—like, the, the journey even to the cross, let alone the, cru- the crucifixion. And so maybe that's what makes us so easy to just be like— Anyway, Sunday's coming. He died for us. Yay, thanks, Jesus. Remember watching The Passion of the Christ? When you read Scripture, you don't get the same feeling in terms of how graphic it was, Mm -hmm. the feeling of being there. It feels like Scripture kind of skips the details. So maybe that, in terms of understanding what he went through, that's part of it. But in terms of communion— First of all, I don't do it 100% of the time. I'm not mindful. But the times that I do, one thing that helps is at my church, you go up and get a little cup that includes both elements and go back to your chair and you take it whenever you're ready. I've been and grew up in churches where you do that. You get in line and you do it up there or you all take it at the same time. Yeah, there's but like it, probably 10 different ways to do there's it. There's different ways, but that way of going back helps me pause. Because since you're doing it individually, you could do whatever it is that you need to do if it's a prayer. But for me, in the times that I'm in the moment, it helps me kind of go back and not just say, I'm sorry for my sins. Even like, I'm sorry for lying. I try to say, lying when? Like this week, when did I lie? Then like when I really get into it, it's like an overwhelming list. Because <laughs> when you realize you're speaking to yeah. God Almighty and you realize like, man, I'm sinning when I like lose my patience with my kids. Like, it makes me very mindful of my need for that death, for his blood, for for what he did for me. So I kind of have to push the list aside and be like, okay, like, I'm just, whoa, I'm so sorry. Because I realize my sinful nature. So that moment of pausing and not just kind of getting to the next moment of like, okay, we did the resurrection, uh, the communion, let's move forward. But I don't do it all the time. Why? I don't know. I think we, the the kids, the worship, I think it's like in our environment of like, it's a schedule. Our society is, okay, what we did it, what's the next thing? The pause, we don't do a lot, whether it's in conversation. We talk about this all the time. We're not slow. And I think that's what it is. We don't stop and say, man, why am I doing this? This is with anything. I want to get into more what happened today. Mm -hmm. What did our Savior experience on Good Friday? so that we can better observe it, better understand it. It's difficult for people, maybe in our phase of life, to truly prepare our hearts and reflect on like what Christ did for us on Good Friday. It's because and maybe the kids, that's what it is, too. Yeah. Like, I want my kids season. to be in there for this. I want them to watch me go up and be a part of this and observe the Lord's Supper, and I want them to go up. And I love really great pastors, when they, when they give kids a blessing during communion, will get, like, crouch down, yeah. Or like really lean down and look in their eyes and touch their heads and smile. And my kids love it. Oh, that's cool. You know? And so, I don't know. I, I, it's hard with the kids to really reflect, isn't it? It is difficult. But I think with that, it's not something we do during communion. 
It's something you do during the week to help them understand the meaning of what happens on Sunday. But they're kids. So (laughs) to be honest, even though they understand that, they're still kids on Sunday. Because I find myself a lot of the times looking at them and saying, remember what you're doing. You know, (laughs) slow down. But they're doing what I'm doing. I don't do that 100% of the time. So I like your question of what is it about the human condition that makes us gloss over Friday? We always are like, oh, it's Easter. What are we doing for Easter? Even if you don't say Easter, even if you say Resurrection Resurrection Sunday, Sunday, you skip it. And the power of Sunday is because of Friday, right? Yeah, they're inextricably linked. They have to to be be together. Now, it's good news because of Sunday. Right. And so that is the high holiday. But I even... I think we do sometimes such a poor job remembering Good Friday. Mm-hmm. But I remember I was teaching Christianity in my ninth grade geography class in a public high school. Okay, so, and you're like, wait, you were doing what? Well, it was a world yeah. religions course. And so I'm a teacher, I can do what I want. So I taught everything else and then I saved Christianity to the end. And I remember I had a couple of uh, young women in the front of the mm-hmm. class who were Hmong, which is a, uh, a Southeast Asian uh, nationality slash ethnicity. Okay. And Christianity has not reached into that culture much, even as they're here into the United States. And I remember her specifically looking at me (laughs) when I finished describing what happened on Good Friday. And she goes, "Um, yeah, Mr. Donald, why do you call it good? It doesn't sound good. I remember that as a kid saying that. That is a great question. And then she said, why do you wear a cross? Like if that's a, that's like wearing like a guillotine or an electric chair around your neck. What are you doing? And I had to kind of go, oh, but it's difficult to explain to someone who doesn't know Christianity. We sound foolish when we call it Good Friday. So what did you answer? I had to explain to her, like, well, look, for a Christian, you know, when Jesus suffered and died, he took the punishment we deserve for a holy God. And I did that whole, you ever seen somebody draw the diagram where you've got two cliffs? Yes. Across from each other. Yeah. And then you tell the, the story of Christ with, by drawing a oh, cross yeah. and the mm-hmm. cross becomes a bridge that enables us to get to God. I did that whole thing. And she was like, oh, okay, whatever. I mean, she's a ninth grader. So yeah, Okay, yeah. thanks. <laughs> but we rush so quickly past Good Friday. Yes, we do. That we got a whole bunch of people hearing Christians calling it good and going, what is wrong with these people? They think it's good that their God was tortured and killed. The early church under Roman rule of Israel and Jerusalem would have had no difficulty thinking about the crucifixion because they saw it. They watched it. Right. These were, mm-hmm. I mean, people forget historically that executions were public spectacles. People would, I mean, even in America when there were uh, unlawful lynch- lynchings, oh, yes. <laughs> people would bring their children. And we see pictures, that, which is like for modern times is outrageous. You know, to think like, oh my goodness, this is like a big deal and people are just watching it. Yeah. But like you said, it's a different time. Not that we're not excusing either one, but it was a different time. For that to happen now, it's a big deal. But yeah, they were very familiar, which is probably why we miss some of the details. I think we miss some of the details. Maybe but it interestingly, was more normal than we think. Well, was as, as I was spending time in scripture this morning, I was like, you know what I'm going to start? I'm going to go see it. Remember how Luke wrote the crucifixion because he was a physician. Right. And I was like, <laughs> to be honest, I'm like, come on, Luke. Yeah. What is this? You're a doctor. Mm-hmm. Like, in some respects, they don't dwell too long on it. Now, there could be a lot of reasons for that. One of them very well could be that they're the modern reader, when they wrote these accounts, didn't need an explanation. 
Because again, it was so common. Right. But the more I've looked into this, the actual story, what's written, you slow down and read. I like Matthew. Matthew is Mr. Detail. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, he and is. And he reads some of that. <laughs> yes, and is. then I've read some powerful accounts from physicians that describe what actually happened. Now that starts yeah. to change it. Oh. We did get a text message where someone said, remember last night was the time when Jesus instituted the first washing of disciples' feet and our communion service that we practice today. Absolutely correct. The reason I'm referencing communion today is because Jesus, prior to being tortured and killed on our behalf, Mm -hmm. told his disciples, remember what I did for you, and here's how I want you to do it. Mm -hmm. And they didn't quite get it yet. It all made sense afterwards, of course. And so I bring that up because that's when we, like we have a Good Friday, essentially, commemoration, whenever we take communion. And so today is when we really zero in on Good Friday because we're getting ready to celebrate Easter. I'm convinced that the first century church understood crucifixion so well and scourging and things like that, that they didn't feel like they needed much detail. Right. Here's one of the better examples. Mr. Detail, Matthew. Here's how Matthew describes when Jesus was scourged and whipped. Matthew 27, 26. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The end of the flogging. And this is Matthew. It's Matthew. Wow. Where sometimes you're like, Matthew, come on, mm-hmm. keep going, buddy. That's it. That's how he describes that portion of it. What was that actually like? So I've got this interesting article. There's so many different versions of this. Ron, you said you've seen a physician's description of the crucifixion and even secular periodicals. Yes. I can't remember for sure which, but it was a major like Time, Newsweek, U.S. News, one of those. And uh, it was a cover story and it was big. No, it's super big. Yeah. Yeah. This one was in CBN, and it's from Dr. C. Truman Davis. And there's a number of things I'm skipping over. It's powerful. It's long. But essentially, you got to remember that prior to him being scourged, where Matthew summarizes in one passage, he had already been so stressed out, he sweat blood, okay? And he didn't sleep that night. Like that whole night at uh, mm-hmm. the garden, the yeah, arrest and all that, he didn't yeah. sleep. They were dragging him around different places all night. And some people have doubted this over time, but if you look it up in medical dictionaries and stuff, the condition's called hematidrosis or bloody sweat, and it's well-documented. It's a thing. Like people can be so stressed out that they sweat blood. Wow. So I get heartburn when mm-hmm. I'm stressed. Mm-hmm. Jesus' stress was so much higher than that that he was sweating drops of blood. Okay, that's prior to all this happening. So he's dragged around all night. In the early morning, battered and bruised, dehydrated and exhausted from a sleepless night, Jesus is taken across the praetorium of the fortress Antonia, where he was being held, the seat of government for the procurator of Judea, Pontius Pilate. And then the Roman legionnaire, as they, you know, they strap him onto that piece of stone, Roman legionnaire steps forward with the flagrum or flagellum in hand. Now, this is a short whip consisting of several heavy leather throngs with two small balls of lead attached near the ends of each. The heavy whip is brought down with full force of a Roman soldier. Think big muscle man. Again and again across Jesus' shoulders, back and legs. Now, that's a little bit more detail than Matthew. Yeah, just a bit. But now check this out. At first, those thongs cut through the skin only. Then, as the blows continue, they cut deeper into the subcutaneous tissues, producing first an oozing of blood from the capillaries and the veins of the skin, and finally spurting arterial blood from vessels in the underlying muscles. The small balls of lead first produce large, deep bruises, which are broken open by subsequent blows. Finally, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons, 
and the entire area is an unrecognizable mass of torn, bleeding tissue. When it's determined by the centurion in charge that the prisoner is near death, the beating is finally stopped. The half-fainting Jesus is then untied and allowed to slump on the stone pavement, wet with his own blood. And it doesn't stop there, even. And we haven't even gotten to the cross yet. Ribbons, oozing blood. Wow. So in Matthew, go back to Matthew, he says, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns, set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. They knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took a staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him, and they led him away to crucify him. The Roman soldiers think it's a funny joke, obviously. But here's the part we don't think about. So, of course, they're slamming sharp thorns into his scalp again and again as they hit him in the head. But more than that, when they tear off the robe, like the, the robe's on his back. Remember, the back's already exposed, right. like muscle tissue, oh, gosh. skin. It's probably adhered with clots of blood and serum to the wounds. You know, like when you have a really open wound and you try to pull a bandage off? Yeah. It sticks to it. Mm-hmm. So the removal causes excruciating pain just as the careless removal of a surgical bandage. Almost as though we were again, he were again being whipped and the wounds once more begin to bleed. And yet here we are, rushing to Sunday. And we haven't even gotten to the cross yet. Wow. Man. Just to listen to the details, I want to tell you to stop. The last part of what you said about his skin, that's the stuff we miss every day. When we're like, oh, I'm so thankful he died for me. You know, you don't get it. Like, no, he didn't die for you. He was tortured. That's, yes. Like, here I am. I didn't get as much sleep as I wanted last night. I'm whining about being tired. Jesus had a sleepless night before he was whipped to his back being shreds of skin and exposed muscle after a sleepless night. And you know what? As we think about the torture of the time and other people have gone through this experience, but I think one of my mentors told me one of the most horrible things about this is an innocent man going through. You know, we've talked Mm -hmm. about that in modern times, the electric chair or even lethal injection, the thought of somebody laying there and being innocent. Mm -hmm. Oh, But it's not just innocent, though. You're right. right. No, yeah. It's a step further. (laughs) Yes. It's, okay, you're guilty, but I love you so much. You get up. I'm going to do that for you. I'm innocent, but I'm going to take it for you. Right. And that's what you start to lose if you rush to Sunday. For him to go through all of that knowing, I don't got to do this. He could have stopped it all. Oh. oh, my. And he's God, so he knows how horrible it's going to be, which is, again, think about why was he sweating blood. Exactly. He knew He exactly. knew what was coming. Right. And he even was so stressed out about what he knew he needed to do yeah. that he even begged God. He's like, hey, if you could take this from me, that would be great. That's mm-hmm. the Brian version of his prayer. The so, new Brian version. Sorry. <laughs> NBV? <laughs> yeah. So 
Isn't it crazy that, okay, now most, if we saw that in the modern world, people would be begging for mercy for this person and crying about injustice. Mm -hmm. And yet this is so commonplace in Roman culture that here's how Matthew summarized it. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. We don't get it. No. A number of interesting text message came in and uh, we had Stacy said, isn't it kind of weird and peculiar that in the world we live in today where everything is exposed, the crucifixion is so hard for us to grasp. Just thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Like everything's out there. She's right. And yet we just, eh, whatever, crucifixion. How about what Matt from Vermilion said? He said, most people don't want to hear about the crucifix details because it brings conviction. Amen. Just like today in salvation, people want to rush to say, just say this prayer without the conviction of their sins and repentance. Mm-hmm. To understand repentance and understand Sunday, you got to let Friday soak in. Right. I mean, it should bring you to tears. We don't deserve this. And yet he did it anyway. And again, there's still so much more before the cross. And in the undercurrent of all this is me just honestly saying, I don't do well enough preparing my heart for Sunday. And I don't do it well enough when we remember what he did for us whenever we take communion. It becomes routine. It becomes this. And I need to remember that I am such a wretched sinner. And yet in spite of that, Christ still died for me. I was supposed to be laying there having my back ripped to shreds. And yet he did it for me. Willingly. When you say, I don't do well enough, one of the listeners texted in saying, maybe we should do it daily in terms of the reflection. Somebody wondered and asked Ron Mm -hmm. about when you said it feels like rote, and you do it weekly. In your church, we do it monthly. I remember my pastor saying, when you understand it, you engage people differently, you forgive differently, you give grace differently. Mm -hmm. It made me think of that in this context of, it isn't unrealistic for us. You, you may not have the elements in front of you in terms of communion, but to kind of make it a daily thing of remembering kind of what they do with First Corinthians. I don't know what that would look like. What do you think about that, Brian? In terms of daily reflecting it, on it? Daily reflecting yeah. on the death of Christ and the price he paid. Because if you're going to take that next step of understanding the gospel— understanding the price he paid is part of that equation. I think if you did that exclusively, which I don't think you're implying, but if you did that exclusively, you'd have it a little wrong. You'd sit there feeling bad all the time. Okay. When we're supposed to ultimately, with tears of sadness, experience true joy in Christ through knowing that he conquered death. Yeah. Like that's what Easter is about. It's like going, but don't be sad. I conquered death. I did that for you. I rose again, and you'll be with me now because of this. Do you see what I mean? So it's like we we can't just sit on Friday, but I don't think we spend enough time on Friday. To me, one of the indicators that people don't spend enough time, quote-unquote, on Good Friday, like you're saying, either daily reflection during communion on a Good Friday, I think the consequence is self-righteousness. To truly chew on and let Good Friday sink in is to truly feel the weight of what you deserve. How do we make it so that when that moment comes on Sunday, it doesn't feel just like, oh, I'm just doing this to check a box. And I'm asking that because in the times where I have had way more time when the kids weren't around, and I was like in the Bible so much, way more than I 
than I ever was in a sermon at church. The sermon felt complementary to what I did during the week, which is what it should be. The sermon shouldn't be the thing. It should be kind of a complement of your relationship with the Lord throughout the week. So how can we make communion that? Well, you know, one of the better ways I've heard it done, I had a pastor at one point that it takes a long time, and we're always in a Russian church to get out and go have lunch or whatever, but he would actually go through the Ten Commandments in prayer, but not read, like he'd read it, like the commandment one, and then he would give a list of like practical examples of how you can violate the commandment in your everyday life. So as to ultimately remind people, you are guilty of every single one of these. If you need reminders, this is what you want to ask for forgiveness for, because sometimes we forget. Like, well, I haven't really like committed adultery. I'm not sleeping out of wedlock. So yeah, I think, sorry. You forget, like when you get reminded, have you hated your brother? Have you gossiped? (laughs) It can kind of help you get the list going of understanding, ooh, yeah, that's why I need your death. And that really helped me. Yeah. But I think part of it is really, I think, taking time to observe Good Friday. To really take a minute and do this. Now, again, I, I think Sunday is still the high holiday where Christ conquered death and rose again. Mm-hmm. But we cannot forget the price that was paid for us. That's what should cause us to have this simultaneous like humility, um, gratefulness, joy. It should produce all of those things because you realize, wow, I deserve that. He did it for me. Yeah. And he'll do it for you. He did it for you. Do you see what I mean? I, I don't want people to keep trivializing. I don't want to keep trivializing it. We have only gotten this far as we're talking about this yeah. as the scourging. Right. We haven't even gotten to Golgotha yet. You know, the Passion of the Christ is a little like rated R for young children. We'll have to talk about that later. I need help with that. As we try to slow down on Good Friday... To be honest, I think we have to do it ourselves in some respects because the gospel accounts don't give a whole lot of excruciating detail. My personal theory, it's not in the Bible, but my personal theory is that crucifixion and scourging and things were so common to that culture when these were written that there wasn't much necessity in describing it well. Right. It's like, you know, us describing how to drive a car. Mm -hmm. And as part of this, I just am a guy that's going to say... I don't slow down on Friday. As we remember Friday throughout the year during communion, I don't slow down enough there either. We can't truly understand the resurrection unless we understand what Christ did for us. Mm -hmm. And if we're totally honest, a lot of us, we're like, oh, wow, Jesus, thanks. Ouch. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. died for me. Thanks so much. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. I'm so glad you died for me. Thank you. And I am grateful. But I'm not certain that's the heart condition that comes out of a proper slowdown look at Friday. The slowdown look at Friday is one of like, oh, you did that for me? Me? Oh, I'm so grateful. It's the simultaneous, like I said, humility, joy, gratefulness, a gratefulness that comes from humility. And a lot of times we do the yay because we should because of, the gospel is good news, but it is good news because of the price he paid. So I like yeah. that you say you got to step it back. Mm-hmm. We talked about what happened the day before Good Friday, and it made me think about Good Friday 
because you challenged me about the liturgy, which is not something I do, well, I did growing up, but I didn't understand the meaning of liturgy. I understood when you had to do things. I didn't understand why you had to do things in terms of service and tradition. There are churches that are still traditional and liturgical that are worth going to to see how they do Good Friday. Mm-hmm. Because beautiful liturgy, powerful liturgy has been written over a couple of thousand years. Mm-hmm. And I've been at churches where it's like slowly lights go down, you have oh, candles, yeah. they blow out. There's even a church where it's they, I remember one point when, uh, you know, it is finished. Yeah. And then the pastor will take near the microphone and slam the Bible shut. Oh, yeah. And there's, in, in a traditional liturgical service, you leave in silence, um, in the dark. When I... Uh visit my family in Dominican Republic and I visited some of the Catholic churches that they go to. I loved that feeling. Like you can feel in the atmosphere. It's Good Friday. But a great service we went to and they do this for Good Friday is the stages of the cross where okay. the priest is carrying a cross and people that are there mm-hmm. go behind them. And I forgot what the stages stand for, but it was very much like we were very aware of what happened on Friday. Oh yes. And see, okay. To be very clear, let there be no mistake. We are yeah. Moody Bible Institute, Moody Radio. We are evangelical. You wonder Absolutely, about right. where we come from theologically. Go check out the website, moody.edu. But I can say just my personal opinion, like you, in my experience, we could learn a lot from our Roman Catholic friends about Good Friday. Mm-hmm. Right. Going mm-hmm. through the stations of the cross. Absolutely. And taking time to get through Friday. Because sometimes we as Protestants have a weakness right. of rushing to Sunday. I agree. And that has been my experience in evangelical churches. But it's more than Roman Catholics because you're not, obviously. You're evangelical and you're very much about liturgy. And you've talked about churches and denominations that kind of are more heavy. Mainline Protestants often have high liturgy and very traditional and powerful services on Good Friday. Liturgy. We keep throwing that word out. What does that mean? What does it look like? What do you mean? Even outside of Good Friday, what is liturgy? Liturgy is like a specific order of service and specific scripted things that you do. In some sense, every church has liturgy. Let's just say your church is super contemporary, non-denominational, and every week you go in and you do worship through song, offering, drama, sermon. That's liturgy. Okay. Because it's an order of service. But when you go to more traditional churches, they're actually going to have every Sunday has like a number and a name. This is the fourth Sunday before Pentecost. or right. And there's a specific assigned passages to read as a congregation from the Old Testament, the epistles and the gospels. There's call and response. Do you see what I mean? Like yeah. there's much order in tradition. And so like, for example, if you are a Lutheran and you're a traditional Lutheran in a particular denomination, every church you would go to would be on the same verses. Every Sunday. Do okay. you see what I mean? Okay. And I think that can bring value because it it's part of being forced to do that. You know? Yeah. So did you have more? You said we were only at a point of the crucifixion when we were talking about the doctor's detailed description. Yeah. yeah. So we had just finished the fact that, of course, he was scourged to the point with this, with this leather whip. It has some, And then at the end of each of the, the pieces of leather are two little metal balls. And over time, it bruises the back, opens the wounds, arterial bleeding, muscles exposed, shreds of skin on the back and then they put the you know the robe on him to mock him so the wound like the the oozing wound kind of attaches itself to his back and they rip it off and so now if you're in matthew 
It says at verse 31 of chapter 27, after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes. They led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. That's where Matthew ends his description of it. A lot of pictures have Jesus carrying the full cross, both right. the, the cross beam and the vertical beam. Yes. But most historians would tell you that it was carrying the cross beam where his arms were. Right. That's what you would do. You'd be forced to carry that. Yeah. And so, sleepless night, raw back. Mm. Now you've got a giant wooden beam across your raw back. But now check out this doctor's description from CBN. In spite of his efforts to walk erect, the heavy wooden beam, together with the shock produced by copious blood loss, is too much. He stumbles and falls. The rough wood of the beam gouges into the lacerated skin and muscles of the shoulders. He tries to rise, but human muscles have been pushed beyond their endurance. The centurion, anxious to get on with the crucifixion, selects a stalwart North African onlooker, Simon of Cyrene, to carry the cross. Jesus follows, still bleeding and sweating, the cold, clammy sweat of shock, until they get this 650-yard journey from the fortress of Antonia to Golgotha is finally completed. Wow. I'm sure there's debate about the exact distance, but we're talking at least 600 yards. What does that walk like when you didn't sleep much and you have to get up and go to the bathroom? And our Lord, he's already been through all this? Part of the way holding a beam? Walking six football fields? Man. And we haven't even got to the cross yet. Wow. We are reflecting together as family that we are on Good Friday and challenging each other to do it better. You know, we don't slow down. We rush too much. And I know sometimes with the busyness of the kids and family, I know I'm guilty of like getting ready for Easter and everything mm-hmm. that comes with Easter, you know, observing and the service and all that. But dinner, you know, <laughs> yeah, and we're excited because I'm getting mac and cheese. So I've I'll spent have. more time. Now. I've <laughs> probably spent an equal amount of time right now planning a menu and shopping for Easter as I have reflecting on Good Friday. Oh, yes. And all that's good. But our challenge to each other is to slow down and let's kind of um, look back, and especially at the details, which Scripture sometimes skips over because crucifixion was very much a part of the culture. But we don't get it. We can't get it in a modern context because life is so easy here, and there really is no parallel. I mean, I don't even know the right mathematical word because parallel is math, right? It is math. Good job. Look at you. I mean, would would this be a line (laughs) on the same paper? (laughs) <laughs> to try to even have any sort of context in the modern world to compare right. this, what he actually endured on our behalf. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, as we are in the story, remember, we're just at this journey now. He still didn't sleep all night, whipped till his back is shreds of skin and blood, a robe ripped off of it after it like, kind of adheres to it. He's mocked by soldiers, like literally mocked, made right. fun of, crown of thorns smashed in his head, his head's beaten, his blood's dripping down his face. He's carried... The, the cross beam of the cross, multiple mm-hmm. football field lengths with the help of Simon of Cyrene. Mm-hmm. So you get back to Matthew, again, all in chapter 27. And uh, it says, they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. 
but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. That's how they describe when they crucified him. Mm-hmm. Now, again, in the ancient world, everybody knew what that means. Right. We don't. So what does it mean? Here's how this doctor describes it. Jesus, quickly thrown backward with his shoulders against the wood, is now on the ground. The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of the wrist. He drives a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly, he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flexion and movement. The left foot is now pressed backward against the right foot. With both feet extended, toes down, A nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees moderately flexed. The victim is now crucified. As he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrists, excruciating pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerves. And if you pause there for a second, again, this is probably the worst form of execution ever devised. They knew enough to know that if you place the nail there, this is not a function just of it'll hold up body weight, but it's right at a nerve. So again, here's what I do. I picture, ouch, man, that would hurt to have a nail driven through your wrist. Oh, ow, thanks, Jesus. Mm. No, every time he begins to sag, oh, goodness. his open wounded back scrapes against the wood and slowly pressure builds on the median nerve in his arms and wrists. So then, of course, you want to relieve that pain. So as he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places his full weight on the nail through his feet. And there again is the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of the feet. At this point, as the arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps come the inability to push himself upward. Hanging by his arms, the pectoral muscles are paralyzed and the intercostal muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs but cannot be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one short breath. Yeah. So now it's not just the, the pain in the nerves, the pain of the wounds, the pain in the back, the pain on the head from the crown of thorns. Now it's slowly he's like suffocating. The only way to get a breath is to cause pain in either your feet or your arms. Oh, gosh. That's the only way to get a breath. And there are accounts of people enduring this for days. It takes that long, typically, for someone to suffer and die. And it's not even done yet. Oh, man. Gives a different meaning to he died for us. So, Brian, we're headed toward the actual crucifixion. Yeah, and the, the, the doctor talks about this point we're at, where, again, whipped with a, a whip that has metal beads at the end, excruciate strips of skin in the back, mm-hmm. walking hundreds of yards, carrying a wooden cross, and then get help from Simon of Cyrene, nails into your arm, into your wrists and your feet. To breathe, you have to push up, and you get searing pain in the nerves in your feet, searing pains in your wrist— You can only exhale if you create pain for yourself. You're scraping your back against this. This is what he's enduring for us. And it's not over yet. 
here's another part that I don't spend much time on. In the middle of all this, he's naked in front of a large crowd. They're not just like staring at him, but yeah. they're also, they're making fun of him. They're making fun of him. And you know, all of our depictions, because of our Western sensibilities of the cross, he's covered up. It's naked on the cross. Because oh. the ones I've seen, there's at least something covering. And that's like for that. our Western sensibilities. Oh, oh wow. Mm-hmm. He's naked. So there's the shame of nakedness, number mm-hmm. one. Oh, yes. And number two, they're making fun of him. Matthew actually illustrates that pretty well. There's a number of gospel accounts of this, but Matthew 27, 38, the two rebels were crucified with him on one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you really are the son of God. And in the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law and elders mocked him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Mm -hmm. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and then we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God. And in the same way, Matthew says, the rebels who were crucified with him also insulted him. So he's naked in front of a huge crowd. And everybody, average people, ripping on him. Leaders of the church making fun of him. The guys dying next to him are making fun of him. Ugh. So at this point, forget the physical pain for a minute. Shame, mocking, loneliness. I mean, at least the other two thieves on the cross had each other. They, were, they had a moment of camaraderie yeah. right. in ripping on Jesus. And here he is, not just the physical pain, but the spiritual and emotional shame and the loneliness. The loneliness would, would it just rip you to pieces? Right. Most of his disciples had abandoned him. In fact, as we go on with this in just a few minutes, the doctor actually pulls in at, at this time when he talks about all the pain he's going through, that it's likely in that part of pain where he's barely able to get breaths that he utters seven short sentences. His last sentences. I love this text that came in, and I love when I hear from the Latino community, and the text says, good morning, I love your show every morning, on my way to work. So this listener is also kind of observing and excited that we're talking about this. She says, let this Holy Week be one of reflection and blessings to your family. And it's just a reminder of how many of us are coming together and what a privilege it is to have this outlet and to kind of bring this the Northeastern uh, Ohio and Western Pennsylvania together yeah. in one. You know, it, we're one in Christ. We're all slowing down as a family today. I love today. that, yes. And in fact, there's actually another way that it's just bringing joy to my heart to think about this, how we're all slowing down together for Good Friday so that we don't rush to Sunday. Remember what Christ did for us. Right. You know, we've been talking about the excruciating journey. He's taking us this long to yeah. even get to the point that Jesus is on the cross. And we were talking about the mocking he endured, the mm-hmm. shame and the nakedness, the, the loneliness. And then my cell phone rings. It rarely ever rings during the show. Right. Because number one, I don't have a whole lot of friends. And number, <laughs> number two, Aww. people don't people call me during the show. People know you working. But my guy, my friend, John Lofman, local meteorologist. Oh, cool. You see him on TV all the time. He loves Jesus. He was the first person when I got here to Cleveland to welcome me. Wow. Took me out to breakfast. I just can't say enough about John oh, Lofman. I love that guy. Oh, so cool. And he said, Brian, I know you're in the show. 
he's in the business, so he understands how this all right. works. Yeah. He goes, I just got to tell you one thing. I'm driving. I can't text it to you. There's one other psychological aspect of the cross we haven't even gotten to yet and I didn't even remember or know about. Jesus is on the cross, and John said that history would indicate that Jesus was only 18 inches off the ground. We, we picture it yeah, like high way up, up high. Oh, yes. Yeah. But in reality, it was about 18 inches off the ground. And what's the significance of it? Here's, here's how I view that. One footstep away. Exactly. So close. Think of the psychological torture of you are just one step and you're off the cross. Oh. It's not like you're up so high, you're like, oh, if I fell, that would really yeah. hurt. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you could just step down and you'd be fine. But oh, no, no, we've nailed you here. That's oh. psychological torture that I didn't even know existed. Our Lord, on our behalf, 18 inches off the ground, looking at the ground right in front of him. Oh. 18 inches from stepping off. And he's got people taunting him, saying, hey, you claim to be son of God? Fine. Just, just take a step. Mm-hmm. You can do it. Then wow. we'll believe in you. Uh, yeah, that makes that get down off the cross much more relevant. Yes. Yeah, because it's, it's like, it's doable. right there. Just right. right there. Just rip your feet off. Come on, just step down. Just uh, do it. Many of us need to rededicate our lives to that sacrifice Christ paid for us and then conquering death as we celebrate that coming up on Sunday. But I can virtually guarantee to you there's somebody now who's a skeptic who's listening, who's interested in the detail. Oh, yeah. And by the way, this is an indisputable historical fact of how crucifixion works, because it happened for so long. We know how it works. Mm-hmm. There's no question. And that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified. Right, that is historic a historic fact. And again, we've been going this far, right? Mm-hmm. The whipping, the ripping off of the robe on the open wound, the crown of thorns smashed onto his head, this hundreds of yards walking after a sleepless night and the back being a mess. Mm -hmm. 18 inches off the ground, nailed to a cross, nails right up against nerves, barely able to breathe, suffocating, having to press on these excruciating pain just to get a breath in and out. And it's not over yet. This is 2,000 years ago, and the knowledge we think we have today, where I'm like, oh my goodness, this seems so thought out in terms of the the torture. You know, not just physical, like the breath you say, how to try to get the next breath is torture, but the 18 inches, and then the people in the mouth, because like, yeah, you're 18 inches away from stepping away, but then you're also so close to this hostile mob. Oh, yeah. Oh, goodness. And, 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 you know, when we're all taught history, we're often at an age where, appropriately so, we're given maybe by high school like the PG-13 version oh, yeah. of history. But when you get to the unadulterated, unfiltered versions of history, especially in the ancient world, they were meticulous, intellectual, and strategic in their brutality. Who's wow. they? Uh, various ancient peoples. Right. They would try to conquer people, but not just conquer them, cause them to be totally destroyed psychologically. So they come up with these complex ways. I mean, one of the points of crucifixion is to subjugate people in Rome, Mm -hmm. for Rome to say, we're in charge, and if you disobey, this is what we're going to do to you. Oh, goodness. So who's going to disobey, right? I mean, that's that's the kind of what they're doing here. Now, 
I keep saying we're not done yet because we're not. Because you're right. It's not just him pressing against the nerves in his feet or hanging by the nerves in his wrists, causing excruciating pain. But each time he's sagging down or moving up, he's scraping his back up against his open wound back muscle exposed against likely a rough wooden post. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of all this, he's able to have a couple of conversations. Now, you should have heard me yesterday when I got stuck on 80 because of construction and missed our exit and had to drive, like, I don't know, like a, I felt like 100 miles past my exit. <laughs> Poor Sarah was just like, we were all sitting there quiet because Brian was mad because I felt like I was being tortured because I was going to go to bed so late last night. I didn't handle that well, did I? I couldn't even. Mm, yeah. Okay, so as the doctor describes it best in this article from CBN, again, a physician's view on the crucifixion of Christ. He says, it's undoubtedly during these periods that he uttered the seven short sentences recorded. First, looking down at the Roman soldiers, throwing dice for his seamless garments, he's hanging on the cross going through all this. He prays. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So not only does he speak during all these tortures, but it has nothing to do with him. Can you picture myself? Oh. It would all be about, I can't believe this. After everything, you know, like, oh. And the Roman goodness. soldiers, by the way, the people that whipped him, the people that forced him down the hundreds of yards with an open one in his back having not slept all night, the ones who drove the square huge nails into it. These are the guys who yeah. are, by the way, casting lots yeah. to steal his clothes because he's dead. Who's going to care in right. a couple hours anyway? He asked that God forgive them. Wow. And we think it's hard to swallow when Jesus says, hey, you should forgive your enemies. But Lord, do you know what they've done? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, Ron. Yeah. Oh. The second sentence. Remember, there's one of the two people next to him. One of them is a really rude person who mocks him. Aren't you the Messiah? Why don't you save yourself and us? The other one is that penitent thief, the guy who really feels bad. He's like, hey, leave him alone. And he says, hey, Jesus, remember me. And so Jesus looks at him in the middle of all this pain. Remember, the doctor said to be able to exhale, you have to press up on the nerves in your feet. Ugh. So more than likely, Jesus has to intentionally experience excruciating pain to answer this guy and says, Truly I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Wow. And then the third thing he said, looking down at the terrified, grief-stricken adolescent John. So remember, there's just a small group of his followers, including his own mother. Okay, new layer. John is his best friend. I think that's a safe, modern interpretation of how John described himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. In the Last Supper, John was literally leaning up against his chest. Like, they're best buddies. Your best friend's watching you, naked on a cross, being tortured, standing next to your mom. And you got to see your mom cry. And, you know, like, part of me would be like, can we escort her out, please? Right. Because that's another form of despair, especially the Lord Jesus. You don't want to see your mom because he knows the humanity of that moment for her. 
And then think about the modern context of like defensiveness about mothers. You can make fun of me, but don't you make fun of my mom. Right? right. And, and I'm, I'm being silly, but... Uh, no, that's like all Len Neville's. It's all jokes until you say, you know, because your mama, what you just say? I'm not playing with you no more. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. No, I get you. That You do not go there. And yeah. his mother yes. has to watch, not just this, watch average people, priests, Pharisees, scribes, teachers of the law, Roman soldiers, making fun of your naked, tortured son. Yeah. Imagine a mother's heart. I can't as much as you could. No. But wouldn't you be conflicted as in like, I can't watch this, but this is my boy. I can't leave him. Yeah. I can't there leave him. There is no option to He's leave. He's alone. Yes. <laughs> so I'm right about that. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not weird that she's standing there. It's actually very maternal that oh, she's standing absolutely. there. Absolutely. And yes. yet, who would want to stand there? And so Which then, speaks of her obedience. Yeah. Years before this, when she's a virgin and she's a young woman what she was committing to like it's not because a lot of us could feel like oh I would love to be the chosen and what it meant to her as a human being and the sacrifices that she made just as a human like yes she understood this was God and that she was just a vessel but she's human that moment for her was real yeah and for him and in the middle of all that he looks at John and he says behold your mother and then he looks to Mary Woman, behold your son. He's on the cross being tortured. And he essentially says, take care of my mom. To his best friend. He's got to essentially, knowing his best friend and his mom are watching him tortured and he's going to die. Please take care of my mommy. Uh, and it's not over. Yet. I'm even thinking now of how one of our callers, I think it was Philip, said, we we all want to like hop like a bunny to Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really poignant for me to hear it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we do, but we are, we are trying to slow down. Mm-hmm. And the Lord just led me to another reminder before we even keep going. Because remember, we're at the point where he looks at his mom and his best friend and he's like, take care of my mom. As he's hanging there, tortured, naked, he has to cause pain, physical pain by lifting himself up on this cross, scraping his back up against it pressing the nerves in his feet, causing searing pain in his body just to lift up, to be able to exhale and say the words, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. Take care of my mom. But in the midst of this, here's another layer I haven't thought of in a really long time. He spent years with 12 guys. Yeah. They're gone. Just one of them there. Just one. John and some women. Gone, including the one... That was like, I would never deny you. You cannot wash my feet. You know? Like, that guy. Gone. And I'm saying, because a lot of times that's us. Like, that's my Lord. What? And then, you know, we have our moments where it's like, oh, uh, hello. Remember you were like serving me? Like, yeah. And in the face of all this, his best friends who lived oh, with him. Oh, yes. Who knew who he was, who ate the Last Supper, ran. Wow. We already talked about loneliness, as in everyone's making fun of him, even the guy dying next to him. His poor mother has to watch this, his best friend's standing there, and 10 of his friends have abandoned him. They're gone. That he thought they'd never leave him. Remember Mm -hmm. Thomas even was like, well, let's go to Jerusalem and die with him. Yeah. Yeah. 
No. No, they ran. Oh, the heartache of your yeah. best friends leaving you and having to ask your best friend, only one left, to take care of your mother. The fourth thing Jesus said while going through all this is a cry from the beginning of the 22nd Psalm. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That adds to the loneliness. Because our sin causes us to need to be abandoned by God. So remember, he's carrying the weight of our sin in the midst of this and paying the punishment for it. And so truly he's separated from God in that moment. Mm-hmm. And he's feeling for us that horrible loneliness of what it would be like to be separated from God. And again, to say that even, this excruciating angst cry, he's got to cause the physical pain of his back scraped against the wood and his arms tortured. He's got to go through all that just to say it. Mm. So the writer of this article goes on to say, Jesus experienced hours of limitless pain. Remember, we're saying this in a period of minutes, but this whole thing goes over a period of hours. hours. Jesus experienced hours of limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain where tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down from the rough timber. Then another agony begins, a terrible, crushing, deep pain in the chest as the pericardium, the sac around your heart, slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. It's now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissue. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. The markedly dehydrated tissues send their flood of stimuli to the brain. Jesus gasps his fifth cry, pressing up his feet to be able to get that breath out. He's able to squeeze out. I thirst. Then they offer him that nasty sponge soaked with cheap sour wine. And apparently he doesn't take it. So, another layer. You thought about how thirsty he was? Like, when I'm thirsty or I'm hungry, it's like, get out of the way. Yeah. Here comes hangry Brian. Yeah. Like, you go for that run, you're like, we oh, I feel thirsty. hungry. That's what I'm saying. Because when my kids say I'm hungry, I'm like, you ain't hungry. You know what I'm saying? We don't know hunger or even thirst. So, what I'm saying is, on top of all the physical things he's feeling, real thirst because I know we're talking about this is hours and days and the agony and all that. Right. And here's Jesus, sleepless night. Well, you think in the middle of all his trials and stuff, he's like, excuse me, I'd like a drink. Exactly. And no, no, no. Because it's not just hours have gone by. He's lost blood, right? Mm-hmm. So, so he's literally the, he needs he, water. Exactly, yeah. So the body of Jesus is now in extremes and he can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. This realization brings out his sixth words, possibly little more than a tortured whisper. It is finished. His mission of atonement has completed. Finally, he can allow his body to die, but it's not over yet. As we observe Good Friday, we're challenging each other to not skip over it and to slow down, 
But um, the resurrections, it is the good news. It is the gospel. But we must slow down and observe what our Lord experienced before his actual death. He didn't just die for you. He was tortured for you. It took hours. He was left alone. The pain he went through. And so Brian is going through an article that we shared on Brian and Janelle on Facebook, a physician's view of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And Brian, the story is not over. Yeah, if if you look at his arrest, I mean, really, he hasn't gotten any rest. Right. Not even at the garden. He was praying the whole night, sweating blood. Yeah. Wow. While his disciples slept. <laughs> so, again, the loneliness of the moment, yeah. you know? And all the way to that whole long journey. Oh, yeah. The exhaustion, the thirst, the tortured pain, yeah. consistently just to breathe. He's our, We've gotten to his sixth sentence, and now there's one more thing he says while he's being tortured for us. This uh, author, again, reading from an article from CBN, it's by Dr. C. Truman Davis, a physician's view of the crucifixion of Christ. He says, with one last surge of strength, he once again presses his torn feet against the nail, straightens his legs, takes a deeper breath, and utters his seventh and last cry. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he died. Oh, Brian. Here's the thing that we have to get to, because I know there's somebody listening who just likes a good story yeah. or finds it interesting to hear what actually happened, because this is all historical fact. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe me, go look it up. Historians outside of the Bible not only document crucifixion, but document Jesus' crucifixion. This should add the most weight to it. We've talked about all that. We've talked about the sweating of blood over the, the stress and anxiety of what's to come. The sleepless night, the mocks, the insults, the whipping, the crown of thorns, the long hundreds of yards journey to the cross, the nails, the excruciating pain searing through the nerves just to get a breath, the nakedness, the humiliation of all this in front of your mother, the mocking of people around you. And often what our hearts do as believers is we go, man, it was so good Jesus did that for them. Yeah. We go, you know, those horrible, those people, those murderers in jail. Oh, you yeah. Know? He did that for those, that, that rude guy that cut me off over there. I, he, Jesus died for you. <laughs> Here's the thing. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Can you believe, like, we actually have those moments? Because it sounds, when you say it out loud, it's like, what? That sounds horrible. But if we're honest, we're like, man, I have those moments as horrible as that sounds. And let's make it even sound more horrible. You know what else we do? We'll look at some uh, homosexual activist. Got to go, that person needs Jesus to know what he did for them. Mm -hmm. Mm. We'll look at the atheist sneering at us. That person needs Jesus. But here's the thing. When I say it's not over yet. It was for you. It was for them. But listen, it was for you. It was for me. He endured all that because I'm a wretched sinner. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about them. You. Me. That's what matters. That's why he did that. 
that's the punishment I deserve as a sinner. And if anyone searches their soul, they've got to see that you really do deserve it. Mm-hmm. Like a holy God, he doesn't want your mess. He can't have your mess. He's perfect. I mean, I'm a liar. I lust. I covet. I do all that stuff. And if people only knew the stuff I did and the stuff that happens in my heart, they will let me be on the radio. Mm-hmm. It's true. Right? <laughs> yeah. And we are all, we all fall short. And we're all offensive. Like when you think about the words that Isaiah uses, it's compared to like when a woman's in the time of the month, like that's how filthy we are to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Because when we talk about ourselves, it's very, we feel very righteous. You know, our lives are very put together. And when you see Christians at church, I do it. You know, I spend a lot of times making sure my kids are put together. And that's just kind of how we, we roll. But if you look at the way we look in front of a righteous God, it helps you understand just how wretched we are. And even Paul got it. I love Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right. <laughs> he didn't say they. <laughs> yes. While we were yet. Paul saw right. himself as deserving of that punishment. Right. Because of our wickedness. And so when we say it's not done yet, Christ died for you. That's who he died for. He actually, like you are in the courtroom and God says, you are unholy. You've sinned against me. And Jesus walks in front and said, no, I got this one. To go back at that moment in terms of not only does he love us, obviously, he loved his disciples in spite of the fact that they abandoned him. And so it made me kind of think about when we talk about the way they all left him and denied him, like the way I would say it to my kid, they bounced, like they were gone, (laughs) you know? And so I'm trying to put myself in his shoes and I got a couple of friends that are like close to me for decades. And if I was bullied and they just left me or just Mm -hmm. even if they stood there and were just silent, the very next time I talk to you, (laughs) if you're my friend like this, the first thing I would say would be like, wow, like you just stood there or you just left me? Something. I would acknowledge it to be like, I thought you, I thought we were girls. And I'm thinking of the Lord and he came back, resurrected in his glory, strong and everything. Didn't even mention it. Mm. And he came in the privacy of the upper room. So it wasn't like, well, it was a crowd of people. No, like I would have had a meeting and be like, listen, y'all, first of all, you know? yeah. goodness. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I, there's so much truth in that. And there's the there's part of us that when you don't slow down on Good Friday and you read those passages, like in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says that crazy stuff, like love your enemies. Yeah. And then Paul in Romans 12 talks about feeding and clothing and giving your enemy something to drink. Sometimes you just go, really? Mm-hmm. You want me to do what? Right. You don't know. Oh, he knows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He truly experienced everything in the human condition. Everything. Including, like, who else would be an enemy but a friend who totally abandoned you right. in your moment of need? Right. Because a lot of times in the love your enemy, I'm thinking of, obviously, your enemy. But what greater betrayal than the ones you would think, wow, y'all, like, three years, you saw the transfiguration. Like, we were that deep. Yeah. At the very least. That's me in my meeting. If I would have been me, I <laughs> would have expected. <laughs> I would have expected Peter, John, James. Well, John three, was there, but 
Well, John, no. Okay, so then I'm looking at Peter. Where were you? Hey, yo, I John, thought you John, said John, you weren't going to do anything. John's standing next to me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yo, look at John. Oh, that hurts more. You expect it from your enemy. He did what he expects of us. He did what he expects of us. You think those verses are crazy? They say, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute mm-hmm. you. That's exactly what he did. Right. He prayed for those persecuting him on the cross. He loved his enemies so while he was on the cross. no room to say, look, she's my sister. Did you see what she did? How can I forgive her? <laughs> yeah. He forgave them. And see, here's the thing. Again, if you haven't heard this before, and maybe you're for the first time really thinking about what we Christians, followers of Christ, do on Good Friday— why is it good news? You know, Good Friday sounds strange. Like a student I told you about a couple hours ago in my class. Say, um, why do you Christians call it Good Friday? This is why it's good news. Even better. Here's all it takes. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that Easter came, you'll be saved. That's why it's Good Friday. So the events that happened today, 2,000 years ago, eventually what happened on Sunday makes it good. Mm. But I love what you did about, you know, sharing the gospel for those who are like, man, you know, what would be my next step? But seeing the way Jesus responded to those who betrayed him, like his friends, and the way he loved them— also sends me a message. You know, sometimes um, when you've been a, a follower for years and you slip, it may be a sin, it may be a season of sin, or a lot of times for me, it's feeling disconnected, letting busyness and distraction uh, let me drift away from him. Mm-hmm. The guilt sometimes prolongs the distance because I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I have no excuse. Like I've been a Christian for more than 20 years now. Like how dare I? And how do I even approach? Like where do I even start? But there was no like where do I start? He came and embraced them. It wasn't even a discussion. I kind of compare it to like when I used to call my dad. My dad passed away eight years ago and I love my dad and I grew up with him. He's awesome. But he would like always complain when he would call me and I wouldn't pick up the phone because I'm busy with the kids. But he's like, oh, hello, I called you two hours. So whenever I would call him back, I just knew, okay, for like two minutes, it's going to be like, why didn't you pick up the last call? <laughs> and I get it. I'm probably going to do that to my own kids. But yeah, you I love that Jesus didn't even do that. It wasn't like, let's talk for five minutes the way y'all just left me. Let's talk about that. So it's encouraging me to approach him that way. No matter how long the distance or how much you've drifted away or why you drifted away, there is no gap. Like, just come and it's on. It's not like gradual. It's not like, let me prove myself. And that's a beautiful modern illustration of how the Bible illustrates that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Neither height nor death nor anything else in all of creation. Nothing you've done Mm -hmm. is so bad that you're not covered by his sacrifice on Good Friday. It's not just that he understands what we've been through, but he endured the worst of what we could go through. Mm -hmm. Again, you're talking about friends' betrayal. What would be the worst betrayal of a close friend that you've lived close to for years? It would be them abandoning you at your hour of desperate need where you're about to die. Right. So you think you've been abandoned by your friends. 
Oh, no, no. Jesus knows worse than you. Exactly. And yet I still, over the years, Janelle, I've struggled with how to describe this to my kids. Because the, like, the, the real version of the story, the, you know, like, like Passion of the Christ, is not even fully accurate. Really? Oh, that's new to me. Well, I mean, obviously, only the reality is, is accurate. Exactly. I thought there was a lot of um, research behind it. No, 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 and... there is. It's not what I'm saying. It's like, it's the most accurate depiction you're going to see. Okay, but it's yes. still not quite there. I mean, oh, they're not going to yeah. have, what are they going to rate it if they truly had him naked up on the cross? Right. right? Oh, yeah, I see mm-hmm. what you're saying. Exactly. And we all are watching this knowing it's an actor. Right. And there's part of you that goes, wow, how did they do that? We know he's not really going to die. Right. The actor at the end of the day will walk away and take a shower. And even when they, their depiction of the, the moments in the garden seemed, I mean, all you could do is make it seem dramatic. The moment being there, the true spiritual warfare looked more than just, I don't know what they made made it look like. Foggy. (laughs) And again, I love that movie. No, no, no. But the spiritual warfare, you remember in the movie, they kind of tried to show like, the devil and all that. Yeah. It, it seemed very dramatic because it's a movie. And like you're saying, the more accurate depiction in real life was probably a lot more intense and it was real spiritual was warfare. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I get it. And I so, again, I love the movie, but I even struggle with this. Like I, Sarah and I still haven't showed it to the kids because I've tried to describe for my kids that theological concept mm-hmm. that we hear in church all the time, substitutionary atonement, mm-hmm. that Jesus went through all that we talked about for us, because we deserve it, but he, he did it for us. He paid that penalty. He like paid the fine, so to speak. And I've heard all these analogies. There's the courtroom, right? So you're convicted of a crime. You're convicted of murder. Let's just say the judge is about to lower his gavel to give you your final sentence of death. And Jesus goes, whoa, whoa wait, I'll take it. I'll take the punishment for him. Mm-hmm. But still, that, that doesn't quite do it. That doesn't do right. justice to it no, because it that's... That's very, it's legal. It's like procedural. It's not painful. It's great and the feeling, but that still doesn't. <laughs> and then even for younger kids. Right. You know, I've, I've tried to do this one. And I think this is makes, and I don't want to make this about spanking, but I, I've said to my kids before, as you mm-hmm. try to describe this to a little kid, it's like, you know, we're all naughty and, and we can't help but be naughty. And the only way to be close to God was perfect and it's not naughty is that Jesus took our spankings for us. And I think that makes some sense, logically. Yeah, but it then... It doesn't even come close. Hello, right? can you imagine Jesus looking at you like, really? A spanking. That's what, <laughs> <laughs> that's what you're going to... Yeah, so as an adult who understands the magnitude, especially after this conversation this morning, it's like, ooh, a spanking? But it's that challenge of how do we describe it to our kids have you figured this out? In an appropriate way. I did show my kids the passion of the Christ before you did. <laughs> like, it was a few years ago. And that truly is a rated R movie in terms of, like, oh, it's a lot. Yes, a lot of violence, a lot of blood. There wasn't crying involved, but they, it was very tense and very like, whoa, it was a lot. For the younger one, Jonah, it was a lot of reading because it's not in English. He had to navigate. I mean, oh, we don't, I they don't, about yeah. That. So even though he can read, mm-hmm. kids don't do that. We don't usually watch movies where you really cannot understand what they're saying. So basically, so was, the kids got to be old enough to read yeah. proficiently to yeah, watch that movie. Exactly. Because even if they can read, this happens even obviously to adults, you could be so much into the reading that you miss what's going on. Yeah. 
So there's that to consider. Um, so it went would okay. I do it over again? Yes, I would. We're gonna watch it today, but I'm not gonna have my girls. Why? Why not the girls? That's too much for them. Mm-hmm. I don't think it'll deliver what I want them to understand at this age in terms of the gospel. Like it's a lot. I would probably prefer watching something milder that's more about who was Jesus instead of like because uh, the Passion of the Christ is all about the crucifixion. That's all. You know, it's not even like so much about his life as yeah. it is about his death. That's a lot and for a seven-year-old. It's hard to even find the right depiction of it because as much as I love Jesus of Nazareth, there's a couple issues. Number one, he never smiles, which drives me crazy. Yeah, yeah. Number two, he's some blue-eyed oh my goodness, white I forgot. guy with a British accent. So then what is around now that would compare to that? With the crucifixion or with no, this t- or even Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, because that's what I, I remember know. when we were little. What I, about I the Campus know. Crusade Jesus Project? But again, I mean, none of it's going to ever be perfect because it's not the actual thing. Right. Or Dallas Jenkins' The Chosen. Oh, yeah. nice. And, and the, the full trailer's available online. It's the first miniseries done oh, on nice. Jesus' life. The trailer's pretty powerful. I focused yeah. on gender, but it's really personality. I just don't think she's ready. So and my advice to you is, you know your kids. Like, you have to know your children and know, can you deal with this based on your personality? This is my dad's heart. My kids need... To do what we did today at the appropriate level and the appropriate age, you got to slow down on Friday. You do. You got to truly understand the sacrifice. We can't hop like a bunny to Sunday. You know what I just remembered? Um, Growing up, we talked about liturgy. We talked about different ways that people celebrate it. A listener texted in from the Latino community, and she said, uh, Feliz Semana Santa. That's like a holy week. And I remember hearing that a lot. It was Holy Week was a big deal. I remember on Fridays, it was looked down upon to play like fast music and it like it was very toned down. So I don't want to make that like a big deal, but kind of try to encourage to be solemn today to my kids. And of course, we've been talking about it's not just tradition, understanding why. So I think as we talk about Jesus's death today with the kids, Showing that in terms of the mood, setting the tone as a family and hopefully continuing that. Well, and I think it also sets us up to be sure we cover Sunday appropriately. Now, I'm not a guy who is like all hating the traditional American versions of Easter. I think some of that stuff's fun and and we do that. But if you force your family to slow down on Friday, you're going to force your family to resolve it on Sunday. You can't just make it about bunnies and chocolate. Oh, Mm -hmm. yes. You can't leave the story unfinished. It's it's not unfinished. What does that look like besides going to church? Because we can't just leave it to the pastor and then go home and just say, okay, let me sit down and enjoy my mac and cheese. What if, what did you guys do with your kids, Ron? Some things that we did are, are um, kind of commercialized, but there are like Easter eggs that have things in them that are symbolic of Christianity. And oh, yeah. so like you, you know, if you open it, egg and there's a cross in it you can explain that this is the cross where jesus died for our sins and yeah other other things that help you to tell the story i, love I don't that. know about your kids but i picture my kids going hey, where's the candy the candy <laughs> yeah. are you serious open it up there? oh cross uh, <laughs> right. i yeah. wanted a recent piece yeah right. but you know then my question is i can see we're gonna have dinner and len's dad is a pastor been a pastor for over 40 years and for christmas Len grew up doing it. Papa does it. It's very much about don't touch the gifts, sit down, we're going to read the Christmas story. So I can absolutely see that happening over dinner. 
or even before dinner. Don't touch the rolls. Sit down. We're going to read the Easter story. But is that a thing? Should we do that? Or does that become like, just like, oh, we check the box. What is wrong? Why do you look like that? No, I... Are you frustrated? No, no, no. I... <laughs> I just, some people get mad at me for that, but I just, I don't have any problem with Christians having fun and I don't celebrate pagan holidays. We just have a great time with my kids, Easter yeah, yeah. baskets, candy, oh, okay. a great meal, fellowship and family. And I'm convicted to be sure that as part of that family togetherness, the celebration, yeah. truly, the celebration feast of the resurrection, which why wouldn't we do this with family? Celebrate the, our risen Lord. I got to be sure we have emphasized up until that day, the long awaited resurrection. And, oh, yeah. and what it took to get to that point yeah. and why it matters. You know, he is risen. And for those of you who haven't committed your life to Christ, again, this is the time of year where we're all doing this and we're talking about this. And this is your opportunity to truly examine the Christian story. Because I'm telling you, when you hold this up side by side and parallel with other faiths and other traditions, there's nothing like the cross. Yeah. The rest of those world religions, the ones that are just man-made, they're going to ask you to do things to get saved. Jesus did it for you. It's a unique message. Oh, yes, Would you is. consider truly embracing that cross and surrendering your life to it at the foot of that cross this Good Friday as you look forward to not only you being risen again, but Jesus rose again, just like you will in him. Oh, great, great program. And I've been encouraged and I look forward to continuing to observe Good Friday with my family. I hope you're all encouraged. Have a great Resurrection Sunday and a great weekend. Hasta luego, familia. Hey, hold up. Where are you going? You know you liked your time with us. You want more. So look down, hit that button right there, subscribe, and you'll get updated episodes, and then you can hang some more. And guess what? You can help us. How? A five-star rating. You can also hang with us live weekday 6 to 9 a.m., interact with us, talk with us, download the Moody Radio app. Or at brianandjanelle.org. And we don't put all this together all by ourselves. There's some great people behind all this production. We want to thank Ron Eastwood, Kelly Ryder, Paul Carter, Doug Hayner, Mike Reynolds, and our awesome and fearless leader, Josue Villa. And finally, this podcast is a production of Moody Radio in Cleveland, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Well, Brian, that's a wrap. Yep.